we are officially, we sort of subtly got into the Gospel of John. Well, today we're officially starting the Gospel of John in the more traditional way that you've come to expect here at Redemption, where we're just going to work through the Gospel passage by passage. I used those first few verses sort of to launch a topical series on some things that I thought were important for us to talk about as we looked at what you need to know about the world. And I think that was also intentional in helping setting the stage for the Gospel of John, because if you didn't know any of those four things that we talked about in that sermon series, it, it might slow you down in understanding John's Gospel. And so let me ask this question as we get started looking at this Gospel. How do we know God? Like, how do we know what He's like or what He does? Or how do, how do we understand His character? In other words, how has God revealed himself? Or, let me back up before I ask that, has God revealed himself? Like, you're born into this world, is there any, any way that you can actually know, does God exist, and what is he like, and what, what does he want from me, and what can I expect from him? How would you know such things? You're born most often into a family that has parents, and, and those parents reveal themselves by their presence. They reveal themselves with their words. They let you know from day one what they expect and what you can expect from them and, and, and what kind of people they are. They, they, by nature, reveal who they are. But how do we know God? Has he revealed himself in our well, that's interesting. Self, by sending Jesus to live as a man among us. That's what the Bible teaches, is that God reveals himself. He makes known who he is, what he's like, what he expects, what he's going to do by sending Jesus to live as a man among us. Okay, so the first thing on the handout. John wrote a unique gospel with a specific purpose. It's a unique gospel with a specific purpose. It's unique. Okay, so I'm going to say some things that most of us probably know, but for the benefit of, of some of us that may not know. See, people aren't raised in church all that much anymore. And so I don't think we, we I think we underestimate the gap in knowledge that people uh, who are being raised outside of the church have versus those who maybe were raised in more traditional church settings where you went to church every week, you went to Sunday school, you maybe went back on Sunday night, or you maybe went back on Wednesday. There was like a lot of information and knowledge that was passed on that just doesn't always get passed on today. And so I think we need to take the responsibility for uh, conferring some of that knowledge on Sunday mornings together. So let's just talk about this book for a moment. This book is actually, believe it or not, a, a compilation of 66 books. There are 39 books in what we call the Old Testament. Those are all books that were written before Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago. And then there's 27 books in what we call the New Testament, all of those books written after Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago. The Gospels, there are actually four what we call Gospels. See, there are different types of, of literature in the Bible. There's poetry, and there's historical narrative, and there's letters. We've talked about some of the letters over the past few months. The Gospels are unique 
Because the Gospels specifically tell the story of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. So why do we have four of them? Why not just one comprehensive gospel that tells us everything we need to know about Jesus? Well, I actually think it's really beautiful what God has done and given us four gospels. If you think about, if you've ever, I'm sure most of us have been to a funeral where there's a eulogy time, where people have the opportunity even to get up and, and tell stories about their loved one who has passed away. And what's interesting is when that happens is quite often you'll hear things that you never knew from the different perspectives and the different people that, that get up to, to tell stories. You're like, wow, I, I never knew that about them. I never heard that story before. I'm glad I, I know that about them. One of the advantages of four gospels is that we have four perspectives, not conflicting perspectives, but we have a more complete picture of the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth because we have these four gospels. So John's gospel is the most unique, though. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a lot of material in common. Sometimes they tell the exact same stories. And they, they have a lot of shared material. John is unique. The reason uh, John is unique is explainable. We'll get that to a minute. But let me talk about the author. In the, in the gospel of John, as we go through this, and we already saw this in chapter 1, when the Gospel of John says the name John, it's not actually referring to the author, but almost always John the Baptist. And we'll see that come up uh, this week and next. And so John doesn't actually refer to himself by name in the book. He usually takes on the designation of the disciple Jesus loved. Which, I don't know. Depending on how you look at it, it might sound arrogant, like he's boasting or something. But when you really look at it in context, it's, it's really, he's very humbly describing his relationship to Jesus is based not on his love for Jesus, but on Jesus' love for him. So he identifies himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And um, John always refer, almost always refers to John the Baptist. Not always. Let me correct that. John is part of this, what's called in the New Testament, the, or what becomes known as, it's not called this, but what, but what becomes known as the inner circle of Jesus. Jesus has 12 disciples that he has specifically called to follow him. And then he has this large group of disciples and followers. There are times when there are thousands of people around Jesus, but he's got these 12 guys that he really focuses in on. And John is one of those 12, but he's not just among the 12, he's among the three, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Every now and then in the gospel stories, Jesus will break away from the 12 disciples and he'll grab these three guys, Peter, James, and John, and say, you guys come with me. What's important, why that's important to know is because that those three were part of some of the most significant and most intimate moments of Jesus' ministry here on earth. This inner circle, they, they were originally Peter's fishing partners. You might recall the story early on in the Gospels of when Jesus calls the soon-to-be apostle Peter, and, and he, he's out fishing with some of his fishing partners and he tells them to, to do a, a specific finish, fishing maneuver, and that maneuver brings in this incredible catch of fish, so much so that, that Peter and his partners are just astonished. They're amazed, and they're asking themselves the question, what kind of man is this? That was Peter, James, and John, the author of the Gospel of John. James and John were brothers. 
They're called in the New Testament the sons of thunder. And we don't know why, but that sounds like an exciting story that we'll get to hear perhaps in heaven of why Jesus called them the sons of thunder. John's brother, I'm just giving you some biographical information, okay? We're not going to do this every week. I'm just going to take a few minutes today, give you some biographical information, and then we'll get into our first passage. Uh, John's brother, James, is actually the first of the disciples to be killed. Herod had him killed uh, when he began persecuting the church. John was the last apostle to die, and we'll see that if by God's grace, we ever get to the end of the book of the Gospel of John, we'll see that he lived a long time. He outlived the other apostles. There's this interesting story in the end where he's talking about how Jesus predicted the way that Peter would die, and, and Peter basically says to Jesus, well, what about John? Like, isn't he going to die some horrible death too? <laughs> and Jesus just says, hey, that's between me and him. He'll live the life that I want him on. Peter, James, and John witnessed the transfiguration, which was when Jesus takes those three, the inner circle, up on the mountain, and he's transfigured, meaning his appearance actually physically changes. And they witnessed the glory of God in a way that I would suggest probably no other human beings prior to that in history. There's, there's, there's a couple of things in the Old Testament, like um, the, the prophet Isaiah's calling where he says he saw the Lord seated on the throne and the glory of the Lord filled the place that he, you know. So maybe Isaiah saw something similar to this, but always in the Old Testament when God is going to reveal his glory, he does not allow man to see it. And so Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain and they see the glory of God as Jesus is transfigured. His, his appearance is transformed in front of them. And they see with him Moses and Elijah. It's one of my favorite stories uh, in the New Testament. However, what's interesting is even though John was a part of this miraculous event, he doesn't actually include that story in his gospel. And I don't want to speculate why that is. I think one of the, perhaps one of the biggest reasons and one of the reasons that we see a lot of things don't show up in the Gospel of John is that the other three Gospels were already written. And so there's, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but there's this, this thought that John was writing to get some things out there that weren't already out there. Like he lived a lot longer than the other, um, uh, the other disciples and the apostles. And so uh, these, mess, these gospels are circulating and people are hearing about the life and ministry of Jesus. But at some point in, towards the end of John's life, he decides, you know what? There's some stories that still aren't being told that I need to get out there. So he doesn't include the transfiguration. He doesn't include the Garden of Gethsemane, which again is another instance where Jesus takes the inner circle, the three, when he goes to pray right before he goes to the cross. John doesn't include this. When was John's gospel written? Nobody really knows. Um, there's some pretty good estimations that perhaps around 80 AD, so you're talking like 50 years after Jesus. Again, I think that's one of the reasons it seems safe talking about Jesus and the gospels began to circulate sometime uh, decades before John's gospel. Um, one of the evidences that it was written that late is there's no mention of the Sadducees, which would have disappeared by around 80 AD or a little bit sooner as the, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD. So things change drastically in the Jewish religion after that. And there's evidences in John's gospel that he's written after those changes have taken place. 
Here's what Augustine said, one of the early church fathers. This is something it's really helpful to know about the Gospel of John. He said, John's gospel is deep enough for an elephant to swim and shallow enough for a child not to drown. As we go through this exciting gospel together, you're going to see some things that on the surface you're like, that's fantastic. That makes perfect sense. And then you're going to walk away and you're going to think about it a little bit more and you're going to go, oh, there's a lot more to that. And there's, there's, there's depths to the gospel of John that don't prohibit us from getting in the water at any level of spiritual growth. Like it's a great book for new believers to start with because they're just some really plain, basic, simple truths about the gospel, but it's also a great place for those of us who maybe been swimming a little bit longer in the gospels to get in and say, yeah, there's some deep water here. A couple other things um, before we move on from the uniqueness. There's no birth narrative the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about Jesus' birth. How does John start his gospel? In the beginning was the word. He doesn't go to the beginning of Jesus' life on earth. He goes back to the beginning of human history, and he says, oh yeah, Jesus was there then too. So he takes, that's very strategic and purposeful. He doesn't have the parables. He doesn't have the temptation of Jesus where Jesus has this face-off with Satan in the desert. There are some, some significant things that are missing, but again, we think all of that is quite intentional. But he has a specific purpose. I said John wrote a unique gospel. Okay, so that's it for biographical information. If you did not enjoy that, thanks for hanging in there itself now. Because it, I said it's a unique exactly why he wrote it. He doesn't do that towards till we get to the end of the book. So we're going to look there now so that we enter in John's gospel knowing his purpose from the beginning. John chapter 20 verses 30 through 31 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What an incredible reason to write a book. His purpose is literally so that people would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. To write something with that significant of a purpose requires the work of the Holy Spirit, no doubt. These are written. There are many other signs. There are so many things that Jesus did that we could talk about. And we could go on and on and on. But these ones I've written down specifically so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what he sets out to accomplish. That people would believe who Jesus is. And that by believing they would have eternal life. All right, so that's his purpose. It's a unique gospel. It's a fantastic gospel. I think you're going to love it. I would encourage you as we go through it to be reading it. Um, it's 21 chapters. Definitely you could sit down and read this in one sitting, but it would be a, a, a longer sitting than, say, the book of Ephesians or something like that that has six chapters. I have found, as I've tried to go through it several times in, in preparation, um, I, like to, I like to listen 
as I, as I just go and go for a little walk or something around my block a couple of times in the evening. And I found I can get about half of it in in a comfortable walk. And so maybe you want to try something like that. Maybe listen to it on your commute to work and, and see if you can get, you know, how far ever you can get. It depends on how long your commute is. But try to get through the Gospel of John either through reading or listening a couple of times over the next couple of weeks. Our text today is John chapter 1 verses 14 through 18. And I have read this passage in previous weeks. We used, if you remember, I said this at one point, I don't expect that you remember this. The first 18 verses of John's gospel are sort of a prologue. It's sort of, you know, he's, he's getting some preliminary things out there. And then um, after we get into verse 19 of, of chapter 1, which we'll start with next week, into about halfway through the book, somewhere around chapter 12, it's, it's this um, argument, this, this really well put together argument of who Jesus is. And, and there's signs and there's witnesses and we'll talk about some of that as, even today. And then around chapter 12, he transitions to Jesus' passion, which is his last few days in Jerusalem. And so like half of John's gospel focuses on the last week of Jesus' life. So structurally, it's just helpful to know some of that. So I used the prologue, these first 18 verses, to kind of get us through that series that we just wrapped up. So I'm going to start us with the end of the prologue, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, remember this is John the Baptist, testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God the one and only Son, who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. How does God make himself known? He reveals himself in sending Jesus Christ, his Son. All right, just some simple truths we're gonna pull from those five verses uh, together today. The first is this, and it's on your hand. Jesus came to us. Jesus came to us. Simple, but among us. What kind of God created this universe? We have all kinds of questions about what he is like. Is he the kind of God that makes it hard for people to know him? Is he the kind of God who puts lots of obstacles in between himself and the people he has created to inhabit this world? Or is he the kind of God who comes to them? There's a difference. If you've ever been in any kind of relationship, a romantic relationship or otherwise, where you feel like it's really up to you to make that relationship happen, where you're the one doing the pursuing, where it's perhaps not reciprocal, you know, you, you know that's, that's a pretty good sign that that person doesn't want to be in a relationship with you. On the other hand, if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody that's pursuing you, you know that at least in a healthy relationship that they're doing that because they want you to know them. They want to know you. They want to be in relationship with you. What kind of God created this world? The kind of God who comes to us. 
The kind of God who wants to be known, who pursues the people that he has created. Now, that pursuit is this long, drawn-out historical narrative that goes on for thousands of years. I don't want to make it sound so simple because there's a lot of things that happen before Jesus comes to us, but we have the benefit of seeing from this side of Jesus' coming to the earth that he really is a God who pursues people. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save. That's his mission. That's been God's mission from the very beginning. From the time that he placed Adam and Eve in the garden and they fell into sin, his mission has always been that he comes to his people. Galatians 4, this won't be on the screen, let me just read it. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman. So we know that Jesus doesn't just, just come to adopt human beings as his children. He's coming to bring us, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that reconciliation that Jesus brings us back into relationship with God. Jesus came to us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Next thing we see is that he was witnessed by many credible witnesses. He was witnessed by many credible witnesses. We're going to look at, uh, I'll give you a second to write that down, but we're going to look at verse 14, the, the second half of verse 14. It says, We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so you have to think, who's the we? This is the author writing this. Seems, to, seems as though he's um, speaking in, in this context about those who were there who saw Jesus' earthly ministry. We, the disciples, those who followed Jesus, those who were eyewitnesses to these events. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father. He no doubt has in mind the transfiguration amongst other things. I mean, he could be speaking about Jesus's, the totality of Jesus' earthly ministry, but he's, he definitely would have in mind at this moment that, that, that time when he went up on the mountain with Jesus Remember, he's one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' glory appearing on earth. We observed this. We saw it. We are witnesses to it. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father. One of the things that happened on that mountain is that they saw Jesus and then they heard the Father. Just like at Jesus' baptism, God the Father's voice audibly proclaims to them, this is my son. That's what John's saying here. We saw it. We heard it. We were, we were, I was there. You know, there's like so many things happening right now with all of this political stuff going on where candidates are, are wanted us to do and, and all of this stuff. And I keep finding myself going, wait a minute, I was there. I saw it. Like I lived through the last six months. I remember what happened, like the, the audacity to just lie and make up things right in front of those of us who were witnesses is unbelievable to me. You can't lie to somebody who was there. That's what John's saying. He's like, I was there. We were there. We witnessed his glory. 
He was witnessed by many credible witnesses. That's going to be one of the, the key parts of John's argument. And so for the next 11 chapters, like some sort of courtroom attorney, he's going to bring before us witnesses. He's going he's to present to us people who witnessed Jesus' glory and testify to who he was. Remember, his point, his purpose is to show us that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And that, that by believing in him, we can have life. And so if he's going to prove to us who Jesus is, he's going to bring forth witnesses. The, the Gospel of John, particularly those first 11 chapters, is actually organized by seven different signs there are miraculous things that Jesus does. And, and some commentators have even tried to break down the witnesses into seven different witnesses. Whether it's seven or not isn't super clear. There are definitely several. There are at least seven witnesses in the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John. We have, first of all, John the Baptist, who's going to come next. That's our very next passage. But it's also mentioned here in verse 15. It says, John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. What is John the Baptist saying about Jesus? Well, here's what we know, is that Jesus was born after John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, no, 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 he existed before me, which coincides very well with what John is saying in his gospel here. He's saying, in the beginning was the word. This man, he may have been incarnated and manifested on the earth at a particular time, that time being after the birth of John the Baptist, but he existed before all of that. He's a witness. He's testifying. He's telling you what he's seen. He's telling you what he knows. John the Baptist is one of the witnesses, the Samaritan woman. One of the really cool stories in John's gospel. We'll get to that in a few weeks. She's a witness. I want you to see this as we go through the book. Moses and the prophets, they're witnesses. John calls Moses to the witness stand and says, this is what Moses said the Messiah would be like. This is what the prophets said the Messiah would be like. This is what the Old Testament scripture said the Messiah would be like. They witness, they testify. One of the most important witnesses in John's gospel is actually God the Father himself, who on a couple of occasions testifies, one of them being that transfiguration. Again, these don't happen in John's gospel, but he mentions many times uh, the Father's testimony about Jesus. Jesus himself calls on God the Father as a witness to testify of who he is. Another witness is, of course, Jesus himself. He makes explicit claims about his deity, about his relationship to God the Father, about his preexistence, about uh, him being the Messiah. He makes explicit claims in John's gospel about all of these things. And at one point he even says, if you don't believe my words, believe the works that I have done. And so we have Jesus' words testifying, and then we have his works, these seven signs, these miracles, these incredible things that Jesus does. The Spirit is one of the witnesses in John's gospel. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all witnessing and testifying to who Jesus is. And then last but certainly not least, we have John himself. 
John the evangelist, the writer of this gospel, is one of the credible witnesses that we see in this gospel. He says this in in verse 1930. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. Then he says in John 21, 24, this is the disciple who testifies. He's speaking of himself. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. He's putting his reputation on the line. He's saying, I'm telling you, this is true. He's giving his testimony. He's being a witness. Jesus was witnessed by many credible witnesses. Next point on the handout. His coming resulted in grace. His coming resulted in grace. Gospel actually means good news. It's literally what it means. And so... This is the good news of Jesus. It's the good news about Jesus. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus came to bring grace. Before Jesus, efforts to earn salvation largely revolved around keeping the law. You got to do enough of these things well. You got to get it all right. You gotta, you've got to behave in a way that makes you worthy of salvation, which resulted in couple thousand years of frustration for the Israel, uh, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. They just couldn't keep the law good enough. They tried and they tried and they noticed that sin still lived within them. And so Jesus comes and he brings grace. This is what John says in verse six, verses 16 and 17. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, why was the law? Why didn't God just start with grace? Well, we talked about that uh, in, in previous weeks. So I'll just refer you back to that for the sake of time. Before Jesus, people were trying to earn salvation through adherence to the law. Jesus comes, he says, here, let me do it for you. And he gives us, remember we talked about this under salvation, he gives us his righteousness. He lives the life that you and I could never live, and then he grants to us his own righteousness. That's called grace. Let's look, I want to look real quick at it. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. Let me pause there. So you're saved by grace through faith. That doesn't come from you. Salvation does not come from within you. It is God's gift to you. That's the message of the New Testament from beginning to end. If you get nothing else from the New Testament, understand that salvation is not something you're going to earn or produce by your own merit or works or behavior. That it is something that must be gifted to you from God. How does God give us that gift? He does it in Jesus. And he does this so that we don't boast but that we would boast in Jesus. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So that's, that's the message that John is seeking to convey here in verses 16 and 17, that his, his coming resulted in grace. And then lastly, Jesus has revealed God to the world. That was the question I started with. How are we going to know God? How does he reveal himself? Well, the the answer is so obvious. 
and so strongly stated in, in John's gospel that God reveals himself through sending Jesus into the world to make him known. He wants the world to know him. He wants the world to know what he's like and to believe. So the key word in the gospel of John is this idea of believe and that by believing you may have life in him. Verse 18 of chapter 1, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God, is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. For thousands of years, good Jewish people want to see God. They long for that revelation, I think, of Moses back land, and he's having a conversation with God, and God says, you can't see me. No human being can ever see me, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass by you, and I'll let you see my back. (laughs) Moses died not having seen the revelation of God. And what John's telling us in the beginning of his gospel is that what Moses longed to see and what millions of other faithful Jews longed to see, what Elijah longed to see, you get to see. That's incredible. To think of how many faithful, obedient servants of God lived and died not having seen the revelation of God in Jesus Christ the Son. And John sits down and he writes his gospel. No one has ever seen God. The one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side has revealed him. What What he's about to tell us now is of that great of importance that it has never been seen before. God has revealed himself in a new and unique way through sending his son to the earth. The disciples failed to grasp this throughout their time with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They they are... They wrestled with grasping this, I should say. Look at John 14, verses 8 and 9. Philip, one of Jesus' followers speaking, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. You understand the tension that as they go around and Jesus is doing all this miraculous stuff, everybody's going, who is this guy? Even his closest disciples are wrestling with, who is he? So Philip just comes out and says what everybody's thinking. Jesus Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time and you don't know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Philip, I'm right here. This is incredible that God is revealing himself to the world in the form of a man that God, through sending his son Jesus to take on flesh, the one who existed long before he was born, but became born as a man, 
to reveal God to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by, powerful, by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you want to see God, if you want to know God, it's as simple as looking at Jesus And we live in a world that will allow the idea of Jesus to exist as long as we make him something less than God. We can say that Jesus is a good moral teacher. We can say that he was a radical religious leader. We can say all kinds of things about Jesus, but what Jesus says about himself What the Father says about Jesus, what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus, what John the evangelist says about Jesus, what the Samaritan woman at the well says about, what all of these witnesses say about Jesus is that if you think he's just some religious leader, if you think he's just some moral teacher, you have not. What's the Father, Philip said, Jesus said, I've been here the whole time time and you still don't believe so what we're going to do as we go through the gospel of john is we're going to let john make his case he's going to call witnesses he's going to point to signs and events and he's going to spend a a lot of time talking about that last week of Jesus' life and his hope and my hope is that we come to the end of this book and we go, I see him. I believe he is who he said he is and that by believing I'll have life in his name. That's the aim. It's a simple purpose, but there is no more important thing to write about than that, the eternal salvation of your soul. All right, so in conclusion, let me ask you just some, some application questions. I want to try to make this a little bit practical. Which of, which of these do you most need to think about this week? Okay, here were the points that I made from those five verses in John chapter 1. Jesus came to us. Perhaps that means something extra significant to you this week because of what you're going through or what you're experiencing or questions that you have about God. And you just need to to dig into that a little bit more. I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of John this week. He was witnessed by many credible witnesses. I think this is particularly important if you have doubts about who he is. Look at the witnesses and then ask yourself, how how many witnesses do you need? How many would be enough? He is witnessed by many credible witnesses. His coming resulted in grace. Man, we all need to drink deeply of grace today. And understand that our salvation is not based on our own works or our own merit, but it's based on the works and the merit of Jesus Christ, the Son, who came to reveal God to us. And then lastly, he reveals God to us. 
Do you want to know God better? Get out Jesus is recorded right here. This is it. Don't go look into any other source. You don't need any other source. This is your source for getting to know God. He's revealed himself. Again, read through the Gospel of John. How do you relate to John's purpose in writing this gospel? He said, but these are written. I think this, and this uh, came in the form of blanks on the, on, the, um, on the handout there. But if you can't write all that down, that's fine. You can just look it up later. It's, it's given for you there. This is John chapter 20, uh, verse 31. You'll have to write John 20, I guess, in front of the 31. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So just two more questions. Have you believed? And by believing, have you received life in his name? That's how this works. We believe in Jesus. And trust me, believe is a deep concept in the gospel of John. It's not simply to agree. It's not simply to agree to an idea or a, a series of facts, it's, but it's to trust in. Believing in John's gospel, as we're going to see, is, means that we put our faith in, we put our hope in, we put our confidence in, we rely on what Jesus has done. Have you believed and will you tell others? Because if this is true, that God has revealed himself through Jesus Christ and that life is found in believing in his name, you know a lot of people that need to hear. That's why Romans 10.4 says, How then can they call on him whom they have not believed and, and how can they believe without hearing about him? Who do you know that needs to hear about Jesus this week? And will you go tell them? Will you do it? Will you actually go and talk to them about Jesus? Or at least put out there that you're willing to. At least let them know, hey, we've, been, we've, been, we've started looking at the gospel of John and I'm realizing some really interesting things about Jesus. If you ever want to talk about that book or about him or about any of these things, I'd love to talk more about that. Will you tell them? Inspired you to read the gospel of John and let him make his case. I believe that that book, as it, with all of the other 66 books, were actually written and inspired by the Holy Spirit through the unique personality and the unique experiences of John, the son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, the disciple who lived the longest on the earth. And that through that book, God is revealing himself to us. So will you read and will you believe and will you share? Let's pray. Worship team, feel free to come and, and get ready to lead us as we pray. Jesus, as we look at your word, this word about you, this, this eyewitness testimony, this case that is presenting to us witnesses and signs and miracles, and then telling us the depth of your love that was poured out in that last week of your life here on earth as you literally gave your life to save us. I pray that every person in this room would be full of belief, that we would believe and that we would trust and that we would experience the goodness of this gospel, this, this word of good news. But God forbid that we would keep this to ourselves. God, I pray there's not a day that goes by that we don't wake up in the morning or at some point in the day think about who we know that needs to hear and give us the ability to obey.
to share the gospel, to declare, to demonstrate your plan of redemption and sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.